I am brewing my most successful beer ever just in time for one last competition in Florida for the 2023 competition season. It's time to make Hipster Skull. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt. Today I am brewing my multi-best-of-show gold medal-winning beer, Hipster Skull Pale Ale. The very first time I brewed this beer, it wasn't for a competition, and I hadn't uh, intended to enter this in any competitions. It was brewed for the Orlando Beer Fest, which takes place well after the deadline for the last competition in the Florida circuit has already come and gone. This was the hoppy example of a beer that I take to show what a homebrewed beer can taste like. I usually take a hoppy example, a malty example, and then something out of style and something unusual that just kind of shows a, a broad range of what kind of beers you can make to try to get people interested in the hobby and maybe join one of the clubs that I'm representing at that time. Now, I took three beers to this festival, and these were three out of, I think, ten that we had at our club tent that year. So since we had so much selection at our tent, I did something that usually doesn't happen at festivals, and that is I took some of my leftover beers home that day. When I got them home, I put the kegs in the beer fridge and let them settle from that long ride home and packing everything up at the end of the festival. I, I let them sit and settle for a couple of weeks. Once the time came that I needed those kegs, I bottled all the beer that was left so I could clean out those kegs and use them for the next brew and the next batch of beer that needed to go in those. Those bottles that I filled were put away in the coolest corner of my house, and I really didn't give them much thought after that, honestly. Now, fast forward to February of that next year, and the Florida competition season starts up again with the registration opening for the Coconut Cup in Miami. Originally, that competition was limited to three entries per brewer, and I had already made beers specifically for that competition, and those were ready and signed up to enter. As the registration deadline grew closer and they hadn't filled the capacity, the competition increased the entry limit to five beers per brewer. So... I pulled some of my leftover festival beers out and entered those. I did taste them before making that decision, and they tasted good enough to at least try. To my utter astonishment, that leftover pale ale not only won a gold medal in its category, but it also won my first best of show gold medal and trophy at the 2023 Coconut Cup Challenge. With that unexpected success, I brewed this beer again, not only for the rest of the Florida circuit competition season, but I also started my pursuit of trying to win a medal in all 50 states. Soon, the next medal for this beer came in, and this was the Michigan State Fair homebrew competition. And again, astonishingly, I won a gold medal in its category and a gold medal for best of show at that one as well. Now, those were this beer's most successful showings, but it did win a few more medals this year. And more of them out of state than in the Florida circuit, surprisingly enough, but a win's a win. There's one more Florida competition left this season and two more out of state competitions I want to enter this beer in, but I'm out of this beer, so it's time to brew more. And that's what we're going to do now as we go to the brew day recordings for Hipster Skull. It's brew day for Hipster Skull, and it's early, 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 because today, later today, should be about an hour, maybe two, depending on how fast things go, should be the second to last 
award ceremony for the Florida competition circuit. This is a competition I do not expect to win anything in for reasons I will not go into in this recording. So to compensate my mood, I am making my most successful beer, which I probably already explained in the intro, my multi best of show gold medal winning pale ale, Hipster Skull, also one of my favorite beers, period. Just, it's, I don't know how I lucked out on this recipe, but it's, it's, I love the beer, it does well, and it's a crowd pleaser. So I'm gonna make two and a half gallons of that. Uh, mostly, let's see, it's gonna be entered in the last competition of the season and then a couple out of states, but mostly this is going to be drank at a Halloween party that's coming up in about a month, actually, a month from today? No, month, month and a week from today. I had to look at the calendar. So I need to get started. I got everything set up and I just need to start putting everything together and make this awesome beer. I'm putting the water in the Anvil Foundry now. If you were wondering what that sound was, I bet without context, that might sound like something else. I'll find out in the editing. So for the water, it is, altogether, it's four and a half gallons in one cup. I know, it's a weird measurement, but <laughs> let's see, it's 3.55 gallons in point zero or 4.55 gallons, 3.55 in the mash done, 4.55 gallons altogether, and 0 0.05 gallons is 0.8 cups. So I round up to a cup and I've stuck with that ever since because it gives me consistent results and that's what I want with this beer. So like I kind of said in a roundabout way, it's broken up three and a half, well, 3.55 gallons in the anvil to heat up to mash in one gallon to sparge with. I'll heat that up to 170 and this gets heated up to something. I don't know what, because I don't have the recipe in front of me and I don't have it memorized. I'm gonna guess 152, but we'll find out when I come back on the next recording. I was wrong, it's 150. So that's what I'm gonna heat this up to. And one thing I just realized, I did set everything up on the anvil, except I did not plug in the power. So I can't set the temperature yet. I'm gonna have to do that after I plug this stuff in. I run the, through the process of that, but I think you know how a plug goes into a socket. So again, not sounding the way things are supposed to sound today. Anyway, um, wow, I even threw myself off on that. So I'll be back uh, in a second. All right, everything is going. I am heating up the water, pump is going, water's recirculating. Now I need to get my salts together because again, I'm using purified water or RO water. Technically it's sales label says purified, but if you read the fine print, it's reverse osmosis water. For the salts, it is, uh, again, without going into the amounts, which I might get into sometime in the later, I'm using mostly gypsum. I'm using gypsum, Epsom salt, calcium chloride, and salt table salt, but on an iodized table salt. The gypsum's a little heavy because of the hop nature of this. It's not, well, okay, I was gonna say, it's not as hoppy as an IPA. It was six or seven years ago, uh, but style, the hop is increasing, the hop flavor on every beer is steadily increased for many, many years. So it's more balanced than an IPA, but it's still hop forward. So the gypsum is gonna help bring out that hop flavor and a little bit of that little hop bite that you, kind of want in a hop forward beer but the malts will bring a nice balance or it has in the past so should be all good and uh yeah that's really it i gotta get the salts together and then i'll get the malts because this water is going to take about a good 20 minutes to heat up 
I do have something to say about the salt as I weigh them out, and that's that's to do with the measurements. I rarely put the exact amount that's in the recipe because it's a really uh, limited amount. It's by grams. Like, for instance, and it's by decibels of grams. Like, for instance, salt, the table salt, the non-iodized uh, regular salt is 0.16 grams. So it's hard to get that exact amount. And I... If I can't get it, I'll, I'll stick with as close as I can get under the number. I don't want to go over, because even though it's a fine amount, a little bit of some of these, how they interact with the malts and the hops and everything else, can be can go a longer way than you intend intended to, and you can get a minerally flavor, and that's not something that's usually desirable in a beer. So I try to get as close as I can, but if I go over and I start doing that little weighing game where you take a little out you put a little in i will stop when i'm as close as i am comfortable at under the number never over so that is one thing i can say about these salt additions in this episode and now i got to continue doing them because i just did that little salt one that i talked about and thought it was worth mentioning i still have to put in the gypsums and epsom salt and i'm going to do that now so i can get those into the mash tun because i think by the time i weigh them out and with the pause of this recording will be up over 100 degrees It is time to get the grist together, and the malt bill doesn't get a whole lot easier than this. There are easier ones, particularly the smash, which is a single malt and single hop, so you only use one malt, but in this case, we're using three, and jury's out on that third one if I need it or not, but again, it's a recipe that's done well. Don't want to mess with it, so I left it in, and we start off with five pounds, 14 ounces of pale malt, two rows specifically, then four ounces of Crystal 40L, and then four ounces of Carapils. That is it. The Carapils is the one that I'm curious if I took out, we'd still be okay. We'd still have the same head retention, the same mouthfeel, the same body. Not sure. Maybe I'll test it one day, but not on this one because I intend to use this for a couple more competitions. So I'm going to stick with what's worked so far, and that's it. This will not take me long to get together. It'll probably take me longer to mill than the way out, which is, well, I was going to say, which is usually the case, but that's not true. On some of those more complex malt bills, it's taken a long time to dial in those little bits of ounces of malt. So um, talking about it, it's not going to get it done. So I'm going to go ahead and get it done now. All right, everything is mashed in, and it's going to be a one-hour-ish mash. I say ish because I'm doing 50 minutes at 150 then cranking up the heat to 168 and mash out for 10 minutes. So there's a time between the rise of the temperature between the two that actually makes it longer than an hour, which is something I've never actually thought about or pointed out in recordings. It just occurred to me now, so I thought I'd share that. But uh, everything went just fine. It's the exact consistency I remember from every other one, so I think our numbers are going to be good. And I'm going to get the strike water started to heat up. It's gonna, it doesn't need to heat up, take a whole hour, but at least get it prepped and uh, staged, I guess. And then the boil additions, definitely need to get those together. Right, I got a gallon of water on the stove. I've got the burner on three. It goes from low to high, or from low to high, it goes from, yeah, low to high with one through nine between them. So I guess it goes from zero to 10 or one no there's a one so i guess that's technically zero to ten again another little detail never noticed before so i just want to get this warmed 
if it does cross a well when it does cross a hundred it will eventually i'm going to put the salts in i have for this to get those nice and dissolved and incorporated and it was it's about uh, more than 15 minutes in the mash i can tell you that because at 15 minutes i stirred it on the anvil i always stir every 15 minutes give or take of course a few seconds maybe in a few minutes but always stir it three times it, this definitely needs it for efficiency unlike the was it the mash in the bag i did in uh prior episode i think it's a prior episode it's a prior root of this hopefully it's a prior episode where i do it two times at uh, roughly um so yeah that's it um boil additions i'm gonna get those ready because we're gonna talk a little longer about those than these other things all right i'm getting into boil additions ready and we really just want to talk about the hops because of course we have some world flock in about two minutes and then the yeast nutrients at 10 so went ahead and got those out of the way to discuss um the hops okay this is this is a very strict numbers game with these hops because the only hop i use all the way through the boil is centennial lupomat or centennial lupomax which i guess is centennial cryo from another brand it is the the cryo version of Centennial. And those alpha acid numbers are high, but they vary. And when they're that high, the variation plays a bigger part than a regular hop pellet in my experience. So this batch or this packet, I have packs of Centennial that I have, Centennial Lupo Max, is 19.2% alpha acids. The last one I had was I think 18.7. So I had to reformulate this recipe based on that number. So we got some weird numbers for the additions, but they're giving me the same exact IBUs that I want in the end. So it's gonna be 2.7 ounces of these hops at 60 minutes, 2.7 ounces at 10 minutes, and then 1.29 ounces at one minute. That's the biggest addition. And then way down the road, within like uh, between seven and 10 days, I'm gonna dry hop it about four days before I keg it. And right now, let's see where is it? Well, not right now, because I still have the same packets of hops at 19.2%. It is going to be 1.24 ounces of dry hops. And that will get me the IBU range that I've experienced and enjoyed on this beer should taste the same. Well, I hope so. And oops, I got speaking of timers. Oh, I'm not speaking of timers, but that's a timer. Oop. Dang, that was my sparge water. So I wanted it to tell me when it's at 165 so I can turn the burner down so it doesn't go over 170. So we're almost ready to sparge too, as you can probably guess from that. So, okay, that's it. Luckily I got in all my information I wanted to on the hops before uh, that happened and threw me off. All right, the chaos of that last recording reminded me there's a couple things I didn't mention in the process. You probably will recognize these if you heard the show before, but if you're new or first-time listener or just picked this up for the recipe, I okay, first, the alarm went off because I'm heating a gallon of water, sparge water, up to 170 degrees. I had it set for 165 because then when I turn the burner off, it usually free-rises to about 170 and that's actually at 171 right now. So it'll probably drop to about 169, 168 by the time I'm ready to sparge. That's fine. And I did start the mash out as I was doing the boil additions. And that is, it was raising the temperature to 168, holding that at 10 minutes. And that is almost done. We're about two minutes away from that being done. So 
that is, I think, all caught up now on everything that's been done up to the point that we're going to get to in the next recording. I am sparging, and that's just simply taking that gallon of water that I had heated up to 170 degrees, which did drop to 167. I was like, okay. Yeah, I said, I think I said 168 was kind of the unofficial cutoff, but uh, 167. What's what can possibly the big be the big difference? Hopefully, I'm not jinxing this beer by saying that. But anyway, taking this 167 degree water about a cup and a half at a time just late like not well not using a ladle but i'm using a measuring cup just scooping out as much as i can get walking over walk i say walking it's two steps over to the foundry and slowly pouring it on if i pour it on too far there's kind of it's not um i was gonna say it's like it's not overflow holes there's just these holes on the side it's where the handles go in and if i go too fast and it reaches those it, it slips out the side of the the malt pipe and then goes directly in to the into the foundry which is now kind of in the boil kettle form and just goes into straight water so there's a little bit of a uh, like a systematic pouring technique to this you don't want to go too fast but you want to get all that water in before it cools down too much and it's not really doing you as much good as it could it'll do some good at any temperature but the warmer the better so that's it i am more than halfway done after discussing all that so i'll be back with probably turning on the boil that's really about all i can do next as sparging is done the wort is ramping up to a boil it's gonna be a little bit yet and it did take a starting gravity it's 1047 the goal was 1042 so it's a little high but that's within the range that's i think that has happened before and i think the first version of this was low so i don't i've had trouble i believe getting my numbers exact on this beer but for some reason it doesn't seem to affect the outcome like that even with the higher gravity there's really not much more body or malt or sweetness than if when i'm closer to the numbers so that doesn't worry me as much as it probably normally would and which is kind of funny considering how to the numbers i am with the boil additions on this when it comes to the the gravity i'm like yeah it's fine it'll be fine so um if it and if it does stay at five points high all the way through that's i still think it's in a range i don't have the range in front of me and again not a number that's necessarily important because you don't declare your numbers in a competition so it just is more of a guideline to get to the body flavor and profile that that beer is looking for and all that kind of fun stuff <clears throat> excuse me fun stuff so just waiting for the boil and then i got a 60 minute boil and then i got nothing for 50 minutes except some cleaning to do The boil has been reached and I just put in the first edition of hops as long as well as starting a timer. So now I've got literally nothing to do until 10 minutes because I cleaned everything waiting for, oh, I did not. Ooh, I got a little excited that I have something to fill my time. I didn't clean the pump head, but I had enough time to clean everything else. The malt pipe, the sparging lid, the, what else? The hoses for the pump and a couple of little odds and ends here that I can't think of off the top of my head, but everything's been cleaned but the pump head, so I'll do that. I'll take a whopping two minutes and then nothing to do until that 10-minute mark. I'm saying that 
almost like it's a complaint, but it isn't. I like when I don't have to rush every single thing into the brew day and still watch that clock. Now I'm just kind of just glancing at the clock and having a pretty easy brew day. And I always wince when I say that because I'm afraid I'm jinxing something, but hopefully I didn't. We got the 10 minutes and I just added the 10 minute hop addition and the yeast nutrients. I did put in the chiller, the immersion chiller at 15 minutes. I figured get that done. It needs at least 10 minutes to sanitize, but I gave it an extra five because it does drop the temperature of the boil and five minutes is about, in fact, there wasn't enough time to get it back to the level boil it was before I put it in so that the hops could be, get their usual uh summarization for 10 minutes that this beer has been getting again trying to match everything as close as i possibly can so that is all for now and then i got a one minute hop drop and then i gotta chill everything so that's not sure what else is left to discuss i'll get to the yeast when i get the pitching and that's actually pretty standard in fact why don't i talk about it now it's going to be imperial Flagship, which is, I believe, the Chico strain. I believe it's the same as uh, WLP001 by White Labs. And, oh, man. Wow, I've forgotten the white yeast one. I totally forget what that number was. It's a number that was stuck in my head for the longest time before Imperial and Omega and these other yeast providers came out. But I believe it's also the same as the USO4. Is that the right number? I always get those numbers except the red packet by Fermentis of dry yeast. So that's what I'm going to use. It gets out of the way of the malt and the hops and let them be the center of attention. So that's the intention of this beer. All right, that's all I got right now. And last but not least, the one minute edition is in. So now in just a few moments, I will kill the power on the heating coils of the foundry start up the pump, get the water flowing through the immersion chiller and chill this down to about 67 around there. Yeah, actually, well, 67 is my goal. It tends to drop another degree or two when I stop it right at 67. I'll probably still just do that. And then I can pitch the yeast and put it in the fermenter and that will be the end of that. But I'll probably talk a little bit more about all of that as we go along and gotta get ready to do everything I just said right now. I got everything done, it's chilled, it's in the fermenter, the yeast is pitched, and I didn't record any of that because I was on a little bit of a time crunch for a moment there, but I've made up a few minutes. I gotta do something for work and I didn't wanna leave the now cold wart exposed and open while I went and did this for, which could, could take me about an hour to do. I wanted to make sure it got in the fermenter and at least an airlock on it if I didn't get to pitch the yeast, but it's all done now. And I even had time to, and again, the last minute, I did intend to do this, so this wasn't a last minute thought, I, but it was a last minute I forgot to grab. I got, I grabbed the blow-off tube. I have, a, a, when I say that, I have these airlocks that I retrofitted, is that the word? I, 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 I altered to fit on the end of the tube, and then I sit clean and sanitize them instead of just sticking a tube every time in there. And I use them for uh, maybe the better part of 10 brews before I replace them. They seem to have not caused me any infection yet. Gonna knock on some wood on that. And like I said, I had time to, I forgot to grab it, but I had time to grab it, sanitize it for the proper two minutes and get in the fridge. So everything's ready to go. Just waiting for us to ferment. 
There's one additional step, a dry hop, but that's definitely not today and not for a few days. So, but I'll probably be back when it is time to do that. I just dry hopped the pale ale, which is a pretty simple process. I weigh out the hops and put them in. And in this case, well, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention. First, I'll say, uh, along with that, I put in some ALDC. That is the enzyme that not only helps ward off precursors from diacetyl, but it also helps prevent hop creep. So I put that in with dry hops as well, as suggested. As far as when I put them in for a pale ale, since it's not as punch you in the face or in the taste buds hop flavor as an IPA. I put them in about four days, roughly, give or take. Well, actually, if you give, I'd say maybe four or five at the most days before I'm going to completely wreck this into a keg. So fermentation is usually well done, well said and done and over, and I'm not quite cold crashing, so it'll be in there for about... Two days at the diacetyl rest temperature, which is usually about 67, 68. And then it'll also be in there for the two days I used to cold crash and then rack over in the keg. Sometimes that I let the cold crash go another 24 hours, depending on how well things are kind of falling to the bottom, but usually no more than that. So about five days at most at that varying temperature. And it's worked well so far. And Kind of, I don't do, with IPAs, I leave it in a little longer, but at the same time marker. Like, uh, if I'm going to do it for six days, I'm going to do it six days before I keg, that kind of thing. Usually no more than that, though, honestly, because once you get past seven and eight days, you get some really grassy vegetal flavors. But for pale ales, four days, no more than five. If it's five and I don't feel like kegging, too freaking bad. I got a keg. Or the, it's, the, the beer is probably going to go in the wrong direction. But um, really have no plans on skipping that kegging day. So, yeah, we'll see. It is four days since dry hopping, and I did just finish kegging this beer. Took a taste of it. Of course, it's not carbonated. It's, it's, it's about what I expected. It's always a little lackluster when it's not carbonated. So I will be interested to see how this tastes once it is carbonated. What I'm gonna do now is kind of just let this sit in the fridge for a little bit. I've, I've, I've purged the keg with CO2, so I'm not worried about any oxygen. I'm gonna let it sit until I can get the carbonation. There's no hurry. Probably gonna be a week. It's a Sunday that I'm doing this, so I will probably wait till I get to a Friday night or a Saturday day more likely just be, to take my time and carbonate it and then Usually after that, I let it settle at least 48 hours, if not more, because you end up stirring up everything that's in there. And then then I'll take a sample. And probably being, let's see, if, it's, if we say all that time at the longest takes two weeks, I think I'm right at the point where I need to get bottles going to that next competition. So that'll probably be about right. I'll probably be pushing it right to the, I wouldn't say last minute, but right to the planned deadline. But... Yeah, pace seems pretty good for this. So that's sort of kind of the plan. Not much more to talk about this other than just uh, yeah, getting it finished and into the bottles. And that's probably, uh, I don't know how much I'm going to record about that because that's almost impossible to do as I talk about as I do it. Maybe I'll just go into tasting at this point. Uh, we'll see. We're going to find out uh, right now.
It is tasting time for this particular batch of Hipster Skull because it's obviously one I know. Well, I was going to say what it tastes like, what it should taste like, or what I hope it would taste like. I'm always trying to match that first one. And something occurred to me, it's very, I'm going to make a, a long story short, that occurred to me since the beginning of, of starting this beer uh, in this episode is that the first time I made this for the festival is when I, I think it's one of the first five gallon batches I did on my anvil, 10 and a half gallon uh, foundry. And I was having a nightmare with the false bottom on that thing. And I ended up pulling everything out and then and doing a brew in the bag beer with this. And my efficiency numbers were like all over the place. Like the pre-boil efficiency was super high. And then the boil efficiency was super low from the targets. And it's a, what I'm trying to say is a situation I could never match. And <laughs> it did occur to me remaking this beer the first time, but my goal was like, okay, I, I can't redo that nightmare brew day. And I don't want to best I can do is start over again and try to get back to where that beer was. And I thought the second batch was close, if not exactly like the first batch was. So I'm hoping this is, this is the third brew. Don't think I mentioned that in any of the recordings or in the intro. This is the third brew of this beer of this recipe. So we'll see if it's holding up. That's, that's the key now that I've, and to kind of put a cap on the, uh, end of the um the anvil thing i they sent me the preferred my preferred version of the brew basket it's the same version as on the six and a half so my numbers are spot on i mean there's rarely ever a two-digit variation so now i've got it dialed in this is kind of the first test of can i repeat this beer on the system that i am now using so let's get into it let's start with appearance this beer from the very, even that very first brewing never ceases to worry me when it comes to color. It always seems to finish fermentation gold, which is fine. That's in the range. The pale ale has a, has a fairly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not broad, but a, a, a decent color range where you can have a, a one that leans to the yellow side of the spectrum and one towards the red. But mostly you're going to find when you buy a pale ale particularly um, a craft beer pale ale, which <laughs> typically they're always going to be craft beers at this point. Um, it's it's going to be closer to an orange and a light amber, maybe even copper. And and it, it, you will find yellow and, and kind of red and deep amber ones, but they're typically in that middle. And that's where I try to get it. And it always goes into keg gold. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? Then by the time I get it out of the keg, it is the exact color I always aim for. I don't know what happens in the keg, in the transfer other than, I mean, I know oxidization uh, makes the beer darker, but these are never oxidized. So I don't know. I guess it just needs to sit and meld. Everything needs to meld together to its final form because it's 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 really always in a constant state of motion until you get it into that keg and, and just stop. So maybe that's what it is. And it's this one. It's the exact color I want. It is. It's it's orange. It's a rich orange color. It's not bright orange. It's not like fruit orange, but it's it's not quite amber, definitely not yellow. It's it's orange, copper. I guess it's copper, but I like calling it orange because I think it's I think that's actually a better descriptor. Head on this is from day one has been it pours really thick, bordering on moosey, but not quite there. It gets the tiny bubble, tiny and, and really like micro bubbles, but doesn't get that that moosey foam like texture well I guess, well the moosey texture it gets it's just the a uh, uh, beer head 
uh, I guess a normal beer head, and it holds. It'll it'll pour like two fingers high, maybe three, depending on how aggressively you pour, and then it holds so about one finger the whole time you're drinking it. Uh, you get down towards the bottom, you're still gonna have a dusting of bubbles on the top of this. It's the head on this holds just amazingly. Clarity on this one. This particular batch is outstanding. It is very clear. I don't know if crystal clear. It's uh, maybe it's not quite crystal clear, but it's it's bordering on brilliant to crystal. It's very clear. It's very nice, very pretty, and holding up to the light just makes it look so so inviting. So, all right, on to aroma. And the first thing you always get is a big punch of citrus hops, mainly orange, a little bit of orange zest. A little bit of a pith in the bitterness, but not overwhelming. Beneath that is a is an underlying sweetness. It's probably mostly from the caramel malts and a little bit, maybe the base malt sweetness, but just a just a hint of it. It's it's definitely hop forward on the aroma, but it's still not IPA strength or in the double IPA. It's just it's it's a lighter, less aggressive hop aroma, but still hops are in the forefront. That's about all I get. It's it uses a the Chico strain of yeast, they use Imperial flagship specifically. So it's the yeast character is just, it's, it's beer. Basically it's, fer it's fermentation. There's no, it, it does, it does produce some character, but when you're using a hot forward beer and a pretty fragrant malt bill too, to an extent, it's not super fragrant, but it's got a little caramel malt. So it's got some character. Those just, just plow over the yeast so quickly every time. So let's get on to the taste. Cause this is where I always kind of, wonder what the what am i trying to say from that first batch you know why is it taste the same when the numbers are so much higher so we'll see now i have not tasted this yet so we'll see if this is if follow suit so definitely hop forward and not getting too much of that sweetness as a single uh character i am getting again with the hops let me let me take a, a little uh uh, another sip to kind of focus in on what that hop character is. It follows with the citrus. There's a little bit of floral and herbal on there. And you kind of get that, that hop nature, the nature of the hop taste in there. The malts are in there. They're not quite as sweet. This is a little warmer than I'd like. I'll admit that. I kind of wish this was colder, which is funny because I always try to get beers to warm up <laughs> to get the taste out. But it's a little warmer. So it's taking my palate a little bit to adjust to it i usually go from cold to warm and i can't really chill this fast enough in recording but it's it's not hot it's by any means it's it's below room temperature but let me let me try a little little harder here i will say which is funny to say since the numbers are so different it tastes it feels a little thinner than this beer normally does and my numbers hit exactly where they should which they did in the second brew as well so this should taste in, in on paper fuller than the first beer, but I'm thinking now the first beer might actually have a bigger body and a bigger taste on this. It's still not bad. It's just kind of funny that this is these are higher numbers. Actually, I think I know what the difference is now in that. Hold on, I'm going to take a taste, and I think I just nailed nailed why it's coming across as at least perceivably thinner and probably it may be a little thinner too so okay the whole lack of malts i was talking about now it may have something to do with temperature but i don't think so. i don't think it's directly only temperature it is finishing 
drier than normal. I'm not sure why, because it didn't dry out normal well any more than before, but it in it's the yeast will do what it wants to do and it'll bring to the party what it wants. And so this might be I'm not sure if it's what's the word I'm looking for? Technically drier? It's not drier by the numbers, but it may be drier. Also like I said, the, the temperature on this is probably making that dryness express a little more than it would, but this still seems to be a little bit of mold character lacking in this version. That's, I don't want to say disappointing. It's still a good beer. I'm still going to enter it. That's what I made it for. But it's, I think the last two versions were better than this, which is, now that's a little concerning because everything matches the, the last brew. So we'll see. There is another factor to this. Uh, and when it, when it comes to these beers winning age, which is something you usually don't even want to do with a hoppy beer because the hops age out. But that first one, the festival beer aged for, let's see, it was November, December, January, February, March, March, I think is when the award ceremony was. So we're saying, I'll say it was probably judged in March. That thing was five months old. That's a lot older than I like to enter my beers. The second version of this did sit around for at least a month before another competition came around and like i said in the opening i believe if i didn't it did much better overall out of state than it did in state which is kind of telling me that maybe get right letting the storing this warmer and letting it travel warm might be doing something post packaging that improves this beer, which is an interesting theory to test. And I'll have enough beer. I only need, I made a full batch because I like the beer. I only need three bottles for this last competition. I do want to enter it in at least two other competitions out of state, but I will only need four cans between the two. I'll have a lot of this beer left over. It may be worth pulling off a couple bottles or cans, putting them in the fridge, Putting the other in the room where I store beer at, 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 well, room, a couple less degrees, a couple of degrees less than room temperature because it's the closet closest in our guest room closest to the air handler. So that, that, that space gets a little cooler than room temperature and let them sit for four or five months. Excuse me. Apparently it's well carbonated <laughs> and, um, see if there's a distinct difference. Maybe even get, um, someone in while my wife's, my wife's a, a experienced judge oh she won't like coffee beer she'll hate no matter what it is all right get someone else in here to help me see if there's a perceivable difference between the two okay this is things went from a little confusing to slightly disappointing to now pretty exciting because i want to experiment with this to find out if there's something to that chemically there's got to be something to it there just has to be i mean that's just the way these things work especially with especially when you have organic comp uh, components in your beer because there's i don't filter these i cold crash them and i i rack off as much of the troop as i can but there's still live yeast in here somewhere not to the extent of there wasn't there's fermentation but there is and that warm temperature might be doing something positive to the beer that i didn't really consider till this which has made this episode go in a completely different direction than I expected. Now, okay, I didn't finish since I belched right in the mic, which I hope I remember to edit out. Let's talk about mouthfeel. I said I did say the body was a little thin, but there's some other stuff going on in here that's worth mentioning. And that what right off the bat, the sensation of the carbonation in this is really pleasant. There's something about 
um, I don't know what it is. The combination of everything in this beer in particular that holds the carbonation to a level, it, it like just and 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 packaging keg can or bottle holds it so well and makes it a very pleasant texture to the whole beer. There's a slight creaminess. There's more of a of a uh, the prickly sensation for the carbonation without it being like lighting up your taste buds, like <laughs> like stinging them at all. There's no sting. This pleasant, lovely texture. It's such a nice beer to drink. Yeah, it's still there. Even God, we're 13 minutes into this recording. Not sure how much is edited out, but that's a long time for a beer to be sitting still and me. I'm sitting here swirling it the whole time because that's just what I do when I record with these beers. So even though I'm releasing more and more carbonation out of it, it's still in there. It holds very nicely in this beer. And the malts are so simple. I don't know that it's the malts. I think it's just a, just the right combination to get that sensation between the hops, the yeast, and the, the time and the carbonation level. I mean, I do try to hit, I try to hit about three volumes of CO2 because I know I'm going to lose a lot when I can. Not so many, not so much when I bottle. Does I counter pressure bottle, but I haven't really lost that much in a can on the first, let's say when you K or when you bottle from a can without a pressure filler, your first three quarters of the keg, you usually hold your CO2, your carbonation pretty well. It's that last quarter where the CO2 is pressing so hard down on the, on the beer to push it out that you start having problems. But this is, this is bottled. So I'd, if anything, I'd expect it to be too high and it's not, it's quite pleasant. So it's still a good beer. There's something about the body on this one. I I don't dislike. I just I'm not sure where things change. I don't want to say went wrong because there's no bad taste in this. I just I would like a touch of sweetness in this. Like if you put a pinch of pinch of something not sugary sweet, but something pinch of sweet character in here of some sort. That would that would round this out. And it may happen as it ages, which is I'd never really put those ideas together till now. So I'm going to try that. I think I am going to try it. I have plenty of this beer as much as I'd love to just drink it flat out. I, I even drinking it flat out. I still have enough to can four cans and put two in the fridge and two in the, two in the, what I call the cellar, which is funny because it's a closet and we're in Florida. And when people, <laughs> my, my wife asked me, she likes to hand out her beers to people that come by the house and are surprised. She's a, She's a brewer. If it's not in the fridge, she's like, where's the beer? I'll say the cellar. And there's always this confused look on people's face, but she knows what I mean. And she heads right off to it. One day I'm going to ask somebody, where do you think she went? Because <laughs> maybe they think that door she went actually lived to a cellar in Florida, which is pretty much unheard of. So anyway, um, I was going to say, that's all I can say about this beer, but it's not. I want to revisit this idea of aging a pale ale, which is like the worst thing you at least that's what you used to think worst thing you can do with a hoppy beer i'm starting to think there may be something to it but i won't know until i try and i obviously can't try that today because i need to package that beer and age it so look for a follow-up to this to see if it's there's something to the aging or if something just went differently in this batch i'm not gonna say bad differently it has happened i have proved recipes repeatedly and have gotten different results not varied different results unless something went terribly wrong but i've gotten different results and this just might be a different result i need i think two two attempts on the system corrected system hitting the numbers i think i need at least a third batch to 
get a well basically a two out of three okay which way is it leaning is it leaning towards this lighter less sweet mouthfeel or is it back to where it should be on the third one so i'm definitely going to make this again this is this is one of my go-to entries now at this point so um yeah that is it for now we're going to come back to this and i will be making this beer again so we might do something fun with this idea as well but until then i have to say of course thank you for listening check out bigmonsterbrewing.com it's a new site i released along with this show it's also got my wife's show her her uh, female brewing brewers and beer culture centric show and it's right now the home of proper education which dave from swick has hosted and led the charge on if it's it's a it's based off their uh bar trivia i think it's probably the best <laughs> bar trivia not only that i played but as a podcast we put it over there to kind of make big monster your go-to beer places i have friends writing articles about different brewing techniques and i also am tracking my 50 state metal pursuit that i had mentioned earlier in this episode you can find all that there and more than i'm not remembering but it's there and you'll see it when you find it so that is it again i'll say thank you for listening and i'll see you in the next episode